0: Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you that we can read it. Thank you that it's in English. Lord, would, would these words transform my heart? Would it transform the hearts of those who hear it, whether here at the Northern Collective or online? I'm thankful for the many churches that have already met this day. And I pray that as your word is proclaimed, it would change lives forever. In your name we pray. Amen. So the first 11 chapters of Genesis, it tells the story of God's good creation, but the continual rebellion of His people. So God created the heavens and the earth, and the stars and the animals, and He created people. But the people keep rebelling, generation after generation. For example, in chapters 2 and 3, we have the first people, Adam and Eve, And they have this amazing garden. And they have all these animals to take care of. And everything's perfect. Everything's good, very good, God says. But there's this tree in the middle, which they're forbidden to eat. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, you must not eat from this tree. You can eat of any tree. But Adam and Eve rebel. And they eat of the fruit, and they're kicked out of the garden. Several generations later, we have the story of, of Noah and the flood. And if you've been in the church any time, you might be familiar with Noah's Ark. If you're not in the church, you haven't been in the church, you still might be familiar with Noah's Ark, maybe on cereal boxes or cartoons. And it was this story of Noah and his family who built this ark and put animals on it. But before that, the reason for the ark it's because people had rebelled to the point where God said they, it is, they think nothing but evil day and night. And so God does a hard reset and sends a flood and destroys everybody except Noah's family. It's a story of rebellion. of Adam and Eve, the first people. You have... You have the next generations rebelling. And now we're in chapter 11. We're going to hear the story of the Tower of Babel. And how these people continue to rebel. So as we're in chapters 11 and 12. It's moving from the general story of a rebellious world. So it's kind of an overarching picture of what the world is like. They continue to rebel. Rebel against God. This perfect loving Holy God. They do not listen to Him. They do not do what He says. They are rebelling. And now in chapters 11 and 12, we're getting to a more specific focus on this person named Abram and his family. So we're narrowing in now. And and this family, Abraham's family, will become Israel. Israel. Which is a very important nation in not only our nation our world now but in the bible so genesis is unraveling the story of people's rebellion rebellion but it's showing god's unstoppable plan of restoring the entire world to the way it was supposed to be despite the rebellion of sinners along the way so we pick it up in chapter 11 The story of the Tower of Babel. Verse 1, chapter 11. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, Let us make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, Come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this... Nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world. They stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel. Because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, He scattered them all over the world. So this is the picture. You have the civilization, these people, they're united. They have one language. And... And they're thinking, hey, let's build a tower. A tower so great, so amazing, it reaches into the heavens. It reaches into the skies. Because we don't want to be scattered all over the world. We have this amazing technology, the great and mighty brick. (laughs) And they want to build a great city for themselves. They want to just stay united and stay put. That sounds okay. What's what's wrong with that? What's going on here? Except this is exactly the opposite of what God wanted from the beginning. They're rebelling. They're rebelling. When God created this world, His intention is that, that people, they would be fruitful and multiply. That they would scatter and fill the earth and govern it. We find this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 28. God wanted to fill the world with His people. He wanted to bless the world with His people. But the people of the Tower of Babel used all their resources to try to build a great city and a great name for themselves. They wanted to stop the population from being scattered all over the world. In verses 2 to 4 in chapter 11, you'll notice they say something that echoes... A verse in the first chapter so let me let me read verses 2 and 4 in chapter 11 and they said come let's let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world they say come let us do this thing in verses 2 to 4 this is contrasting what God said in the very beginning in the verse in the first chapter in verse 26 when God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So God said in the beginning, come, let us, let us do this and make a people to be a blessing to the world. But now the people say, come, let us make a great name for ourselves. They've replaced the glory of God, the goodness, the fame of God with their own glory. They have rebelled against God, making a name for God rather than making a name for themselves. Their technology, the brick, their social unity, it gave them a false confidence in their own ability. And they had very high goals to build this tower, it says, that reaches into the sky or into the heavens. The events at the Tower of Babel is a picture of all of us. It's a picture of me, it's a picture of you. It's the toxic need for fame and recognition. I can get tempted with this. I can be tempted with fame. I want people to know me. I want the internet to love me. So I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on this social media, trying to find as many likes as I can. I don't want to be forgotten. Do you? Do you want to be anonymous? Unknown? I want people to like me. I don't want to say things that offend people. And another problem that Babel had, that we have, is that we think technology is going to make everything good. That technology is the answer to everything. Babel had their bricks. Today, did you know, We have androids in Russia by this company called Promobots and they are, they look like people and they can serve coffee. They can be your friend at home. They can talk to you. They have 100,000 sentences in which they can respond to you. Androids are the answer, we think. Smart cars are the answer, we think. That's what Babel thought. That's what we think. Or this insatiable desire for the biggest, best thing. Have you ever been across Canada and seen the largest hockey stick? Or the biggest dinosaur? No one's out there being like, I have the most average car. Do you want to see that? No, I don't want to see that. I want to see the smallest thing in the world or the biggest thing in the world. That's what we are. That's what Babel is. They want to be great. This is still the story of all of us. Sin, rebellion, it chooses our own ways. I had a pastor in Victoria on Vancouver Island. He used to spell sin this way. Small, lowercase s, capital I-N. Because sin chooses our own ways all the time. It is selfish, it is toxic, it is suicide. So we need to get out of rebellious babble. We all need to get out of there. We're all in there. And I'll ask you later to come step up one by one and confess that. No, I won't. I won't do that. But examine your hearts because this is true of all of us. It's true of me. But the thing is, these things will never satisfy. Fame. Having the biggest hockey stick in the world. Wherever that is. Salmon Arm. (laughs) Sorry, Salmon Arm. I don't want to get emails from Salmon Arm. (laughs) This is hypothetical. (laughs) These things will never satisfy us because we were made for God. God. Our hearts were made for God. We were meant to pursue Him alone, not fame, not fortune, not the glory of our own churches, but God. This one writer, he wrote, "Our hearts are restless. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O God." I don't know how many times I've been here in the summer, and I meet an American, and every American, I guarantee you, they're going to Alaska. Nobody comes to Whitehorse. No one, I don't, I haven't met an American that's like, hey, Whitehorse is my final destination. (laughs) Alaska, they're going to Alaska. They're going for a thrill, they're going for adventure. Some are looking for this bus where this guy died, and reading this book, Into the Wild. Our hearts are restless. We're searching for answers and things that, have, that don't have that. Facebook is not the answer. Promo bots are not the answer. Alaska is not the answer. I'm sorry, Alaska, because it's Yukon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> God is the answer. We we're made for God. Our hearts are designed to know and cherish God. And so you have the story of Babel and these people, they've come together and God's like, I'm going to come down, I'm going to scatter them. I'm gonna confuse their language. That's what that's what Babel means, and they've scattered all over the world, just like God intended, but in a backwards kind of way. And now we're tracing the story of this family, this particular genealogy, this particular lineage. So these people of Babel, there's one family now, it's basically the rest of Genesis follows. And whenever you read a genealogy in the Bible, I don't know if. Who reads the Bible here? But if you've ever read the Bible, you might have come across a genealogy where it's like, this person gave birth to this person, that person gave birth to this person, you go, and you just do a quick, <laughs> let's get to the good stuff here. What's, what's the point of the genealogies? The genealogy is important. If you're skipping the Bible, don't do that. But genealogies in particular, they're tracing. This is what genealogies do. They trace the fulfillment of God's promises. So it's not just random names giving birth to random kids. I don't care about that. But as you look at Genesis and you have these stories and these, these descendants and these genealogies, you're seeing that God is protecting a certain genealogy. That every name that is in those genealogies is being protected by God because a future descendant is going to come from that line. That's going to be restoring everything. That's going to restore everything and bless the world. So in chapter 11, verses 10 to 26, you have this genealogy. Genesis chapter 11, verse 10, it says, Two years after the great flood, when Shem was 100 years old, Shem is a person in the Bible, Obviously, and he became the father of Arphaxad. After the birth of Arphaxad, Shem lived another 500 years and had other sons and daughters. So it, it kind of goes like that for the next 27 verses. This person gave birth to this person until verse 26. After Terah was 70 years old, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And from now on, we're focusing on. Abram. Genesis focuses on Abram. God is preserving a lineage. Just like a lineage we, we read in Genesis chapter 5, from Seth to Noah. Noah's in his ark. God is preserving a lineage. And now we meet this person, Abram, for the first time in chapter 12. Verse 12 opens, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram, Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. God told Abram, you must leave your country and go to a different one. He didn't say where he was going. It wasn't like, hey, Harrison, I want you to go to Hawaii. I want you to minister in an all-inclusive resort. (laughs) Done. God says to Abram, I need you to leave your country. I need you to go here. Abram was simply asked to believe and trust God at his word. The Lord had promised to make Abram's name great. And Abram responded by faith. He didn't say, where am I going? What am I going to do there? He simply trusted. And wherever he went, he proclaimed. He worshipped the name of the Lord. God wanted to make Abram's name great. And how did Abram respond? He chose by making God's name great. By telling people about God and what He has done and who He is. This is contrasting. This is the brilliance of the writer of Genesis. This is a direct contrast to Babel, where Babel says, I'm going to make a great name for myself. Abram now says, I will make a great name for God. It is contrasting Babel. Wherever he went, verse 8 in chapter 12, it says he worshipped the Lord wherever he went. Abram, he's an example of faith for us. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, this is what God is asking you to do. He doesn't tell you exactly where you're going, how you're going to get there. But God says, Trust me. Trust that I am with you. Trust that I am good. Trust that I am loving. And Abram is, is an example for us. So God tells him to go. And what does he do? He leaves. He he listens. There's no questioning. He leaves, And it's such an example that a writer of the New Testament, so the second part of the Bible, is commending his faith. It's in a book called Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he was to receive an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. This is true faith. True faith believes God at his word. True faith steps out in what God has said in his word. True faith follows God in where he directs. Abram was an example of someone with great faith. But he was far from perfect. Far from perfect. As we continue to read... There's a tragedy here. Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 to 13. At that time, a severe famine had struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. And as he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, this is the tragedy. Look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Coward is what you call that. He's a coward. And this is what they do. And, and Pharaoh, he's the prince of Egypt, the king of Egypt. He was so pleased with obtaining Abram's wife that he made Abram a very rich man. Abram was so cowardly in this moment. At this point, it was like he was faithless. It's like he didn't know God. He became deceitful. Hey, Sarah, you're super beautiful. They, they're going to want to kill me because you're so awesome looking. Let's not have that happen. Let's just tell them you're my sister. And we'll be good. I'll be good. I'll be alive. So that's good. He became deceitful. He wanted to be rich. And he did. Pharaoh gave him a lot of stuff, a lot of animals. And he just gave his wife away. Because he was scared and selfish about what might happen to him. And Abram stumbled here. Just like we stumble when testing comes. Because we forget God. It's not that you disbelieve God. It's in that moment, sin, spelt with a capital I, is looking out for number one. And you forget God. You forget what's right. And He just gives His wife away. When you forget God, you resort to terrible plans. I resort to terrible plans. Yet God graciously chooses to bless a rebellious world the bible it's not just the story of adam and eve and then they sin and then boom dead book is over there's no bible genesis doesn't end here it has 50 chapters so keep coming because we're in for the long haul here (laughs) but the story doesn't end here with abram's rebellion god could have been like i'm done No, He doesn't do that. God graciously chooses to bless a rebellious world. And since the beginning, this is just the story of Genesis up until this point. People keep rebelling. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And God judges them and punishes them. Kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden. Floods the whole world. Scatters Babel. But, but... These are never the final judgments or punishments. These are not final. Because God has a gracious purpose with all of us, with all humanity, even though we continually rebel against Him. He still wants to bless us. Have you ever asked yourself that? Have you ever done something? You're like, why did I, why did I do that? I don't deserve anything, anyone, let alone God's love. God chooses to continue to bless us. And what are the implications for us here? What does this mean? He didn't didn't lay down the final judgment on Adam and Eve. He didn't lay down the final judgment on those generations of Noah. And he didn't even lay down the final judgment on Babel. Adam and Eve were cursed, but God says, I'm going to bring an end to that curse. Chapter 3, verse 15. For Noah... God confirms his commitment to the good created order. He's I'm gonna make things right. The story of Babel. God's committed to blessing all families of the world. He's committed to that, even Babel, even though they rebelled. We get that in verse 3 of chapter 12. And it's going to happen. Right now we're in the first book of Genesis, or first book of the Bible, Genesis. If you flip to the very last book of the Bible, it's called Revelation. We have the opposite of Babel. It's called the holy city in Revelations, coming down from heaven. So where Babel wanted to go up into the heavens, God says, I'm going to bring my kingdom down to these people, the kingdom of heaven. And the gates will open up and will unite the nations. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and show me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Religion says, how am I going to reach God? How am I going to do things for God? How am I going to work my way to God? Climb this ladder. See God. He'll be pleased with me once I get up there. The gospel. Christianity says, how God has come down and sought you and me despite who we are because we are rebels at heart. We are evil, desperately wicked from birth. Yet God chooses to bless us. How can this be? Why would God do this? How can God bless rebels and sinners and we not call God unjust? I've heard this illustration where you have someone who's committed a horrible crime, there's videotape evidence, there's exhibits of what they have done, it is brought before a judge, and in your mind, they're guilty. You see the footage, there's witnesses, and the evidence is brought before the judge. And the judge is to give a verdict as to what is going on. Clearly, it's guilty, but... What if we all, now we're in a courtroom and we're watching this play out. What's going to happen? Clearly he's guilty. And the judge is up there, Mr. Ronald McDonald. And he says, I'm a loving judge. I'm a loving judge. And you can just go home now. Is that justice? It's not justice. We, if we were in that courtroom, should be freaking out. We'd be contacting media. We'd be protesting. It'd be bad news. He says, I'm a loving judge. I'm just going to forgive you. Is that what God does? Does he just say, I forgive you because I'm loving? No, that's not Christianity. That's, that's hogwash. It doesn't exist. There's nothing like that. The reason God can bless sinners and not be called unjust is because the final judgment is and the final punishment that we all deserve was laid upon God in the flesh Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid for our punishment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 it says this, for God made Christ who never sinned, who never rebelled, to be an offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He who knew no sin became sin. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, 2,000 years ago, became guilty of murder, rape, alcoholism. Every rebellion, all of our sin was placed on this one man. He who knew no sin became sin, that we could become right with God. And once you put your faith... In that news, in that event, you are made right with God. Being made right with God is called righteousness. You, have, you now have the righteousness of Christ. So when you die, when we die, we will be judged. We'll, be, we'll come before the Father in judgment. And He'll say, Why should I let you in? You do not answer because I go to church, because I pray. Because my mom's a Christian, you simply say, I am here because of what Jesus Christ has done on my behalf. Nothing else. Nothing else. He was an offering for our sin that we could be made right with God. And by faith in that, you are saved. You need to bring nothing to the cross except your sin. You can offer nothing to your salvation except your sin. And we are now added to this biblical genealogy. We are added to Abraham's family by faith. We get this in John 1, verse 12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Brother, sister, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you are saved. You will dine with Christ in heaven. There's a place for you at the table. He's made a room for you because of what Jesus has done. He can bless sinners because someone had paid the price that we deserve fully. The judge is not unjust because Christ has died on our behalf. And He's alive. He rose from the dead. And one preacher put it this way about God's blessing. Jesus Christ is the one through whom the whole world will be saved. He is the one through whom the global blessings will be fulfilled. Jesus never rebelled his entire life. His faith never wavered. He did not look to his own ways, but only to God. Abram was a great man of faith, but Christ is the perfect man of faith. Abram left his home and family in Ur to go to an unknown land, but Christ left heaven in obedience to the Father's call. Abram is known for both his great faith and great failure. Jesus' life was one of unexceptional faith. His life was all in faith and by faith from the beginning to end. And by faith, we can receive this ultimate blessing. It's not to be rich. It's not to have a great marriage. But the blessing is to have Jesus Christ Himself. And you can be with Him now and into eternity. These other things are great. We should fight for marriages. We should fight to see the gospel transform lives and see people saved. All for the glory of Jesus Christ. By faith we receive this. And I leave us with one application. Trust. Trust God at His word. Even when you have no idea where it's going to take you. Because He is good. He is a promise keeping God. He will never, ever, ever, ever fail in His plan And you and I are a part of that story and can be a part of that story. Repent. Turn from your rebellion and turn to Christ. There is no other way in which we can be saved. This is to God's glory and for our joy. Amen.